Now, Father, thank you for the time we get to spend together now. And uh, we are at a time of the day where after a delicious lunch, some of us would tend to flag a little bit. So I pray for extra uh, physical energy, mental focus. And I pray that this session will be truly equipping and strengthen the ministry of the word to counselees as a result of what's going to be presented. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. All righty, our subject during this hour is minister the word, uh, don't dispense it. And I want to begin by just telling you that I'm prepared these notes and I've made some assumptions about you. One assumption is that you believe the Bible. And verses like 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 are verses that you're familiar with and that you would embrace. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, or so that the biblical counselor may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So people that choose to come to conferences like this are people who believe the Bible. And I just want to say right up front that I'm assuming that's true of all of you. Second, I'm assuming that since I'm talking to an advanced track in biblical counseling, that I'm assuming that um, you would characterize yourself as a biblical counselor rather than as a secular counselor or as a Christian integrationist. Third, I'm also assuming that you believe that the scriptures are powerful. And verses like Hebrews 4.12 give you hope and encouragement. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both the joints and marrow, and it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions uh, of the heart. So you believe, not you don't just believe in the Bible, but you believe that the Bible is living and active and that it's powerful. And then number four, I'm also assuming that you believe that it is the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin, and illuminates or reveals the things of God. So you believe that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. That's what John 16, 7 and 8 says. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage, Christ said, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The way uh, the King James Version puts it, it, the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. And uh, what I understand that verse to mean is the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, what's wrong, of righteousness, what's right, and judgment to come, what's going to happen if you don't get right. Okay? That's what the Holy Spirit does. And I'm assuming you believe that, as I do. And you also believe that it's the Holy Spirit who who illuminates the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things also we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to illumine or to enlighten the Word, to help us understand, to to lift the shades of our uh, darkened souls and to help us understand and see things and connect truths. And then number five, I'm also assuming that you view yourself as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. 
that when you're doing biblical counseling, you are a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're serving him in a supernatural work. And I'm also assuming, number six, that you desire your counseling methodology to be as wise and effective as possible. So I want you to see that uh, I'm starting with a very high view of you. And quite frankly, I'm setting you up because pretty soon I'm going to challenge, I'm going to try to lovingly challenge how you use the scriptures in counseling. But I want you to know that I'm talking to friends, okay? My kind of people. So uh, our subject is minister the word, don't dispense it. What would be the goals of this session? I have three. One is I want to describe and then illustrate two ways of using the Bible in counseling. Second, I want to prompt evaluation of your methodology in the scriptures. And three, I want to suggest some strategies that may help improve your counseling effectiveness. In other words, you can use the scriptures more skillfully. One of my former pastors at our church one time, he was talking about the power of the word of God. And he just made the comment, you know, the Bible is described as a two-edged sword. And he said, a two-edged sword, even in the hands of a novice, is a powerful tool. All right? That's true. But a two-edged sword in the hand of a skilled surgeon is more effective than a sharp sword in the hand of a butcher. Right? So it's the Word of God. It's powerful but it can be ministered wisely. So those are the three goals that that I have for the session. All right, now, let's talk about the first one. Dispensing the Word. Dispensing the Word involves reading or referring to several passages, providing short explanation, surface applications, asking for little or no counselee interaction, omitting the passages in homework, and little review in any following sessions. So think about these six characteristics of dispensing the word. I'm going to use that word, dispensing the word, or that phrase regularly. So here's here's what I mean by that. When you're dispensing the word, there's reading or referring to several passages. There's a followed by short explanation, a surface application, There's little or no counselee interaction. It's admitted in the homework. And there's little review, if any, in following sessions. Okay? That's what I'm calling dispensing the word. One of the men who trained me in biblical counseling was Pastor Bill Good, longtime pastor at Faith Church in Lafayette, Indiana. He called this, what I'm calling dispensing the word, he called dump truck counseling. You know, just back the Bible up and just dump it on them. So let me give you an illustration from a pastor uh, in session number two with a couple. And in your notes, you'll see this. And I was supervising this man. I listened to this recording, and I gave him an assignment to go back and re-listen to it. And I said, I want you to re-listen to it. And every time you mention a passage of Scripture, I want you to write down the time stamp. When you quit talking about it and move on to something else, write down the time stamp, then do the math and list how long you know, you spent on it. So here's his report. 
Exodus 34, 6 and 7, 45 seconds. Romans 2.23, 17 seconds. Romans 3.10, 41 seconds. Romans 6.23, 58 seconds. John 3.17 to 19, 2 minutes and 27 seconds. John 1.29, 15 seconds. John 10.11, 1 minute and 31 seconds. Luke 13.3, 35 seconds. John 3, 17 to 19, 1 minute and 56 seconds. And 2 Corinthians 5, 9, 1 minute and 47 seconds. Now, you look at the, the verses that are used, it suggests that he's trying to evangelize these people. I mean, there's a lot of key passages on God not, um, God holding people responsible. And the, all the verses in the Gospels suggest, in Romans, suggest he's evangelizing the person. Uh, the last passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, wherefore also I make it my ambition that whether home in the body or absent to be pleasing to him. That should be the goal of every Christian. I don't know exactly how that used. But there's 10 passages of Scripture that were used. And you saw how much time he devoted to each one of them. And if I remember right... None of those passages showed up in the homework. That's dispensing the Bible. That's dump truck counseling. Uh, I used to call this, a few years ago, shotgun counseling. But there's been so much violence with weapons in our culture, I had to change my metaphor. So now I call it, this is what I would call floodlight counseling. The Blasting them with the Bible. Okay. Let me give you another illustration. And this one, uh, this one was from a female counselor in another state. I don't think any of you would know her. She's a dear woman. I'd be proud to be this woman's pastor. And um, <clears throat> I listened to one of her recordings, and I talked with her about the difference between dispensing the word and ministering the word. And I gave her an assignment, and here was her assignment, and she was to, basically it's the same assignment I gave the, the pastor, but she was to type it up and send it to me, uh, like the pastor did. So here was her report. This is word for word from her report. I was to listen to JP number one audio again and record the scripture that I presented along with the amount of time I spent on each one. And here was this uh, woman's report. Ephesians 3.20, 41 seconds. Romans 3.23, 7 seconds. Romans 5.8, 34 seconds. Romans 10.9-11, 13 seconds. Ephesians 2.8-9, 1 minute, 18 seconds. John 3.16, 27 seconds. Romans 12.1, 1 minute, 18 seconds. 1 Peter 2.9-12, 51 seconds. Isaiah 43.7, 1 minute, 5 seconds. Colossians 3.7, 18 seconds. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, 32 seconds. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, 1 minute and 59 seconds. At the bottom, she wrote this. Thank you so much for this assignment. It was eye-opening. And then she wrote, lesson learned. Minister the word. Don't dispense it. Now, with both of these counselees that I've shown you, it's obvious, both these people, they knew the Bible, right? I mean, say right. right. They both knew the Bible. 
The question is not, did they know the Bible? The question is, how did they use it? Was that wise ministry of the word? Was that using the sword of the spirit wisely and appropriately? So, number four in our outline, each of the counselors in the above illustration was biblically knowledgeable, and they used the Bible to try to help the counselees. These are commendable traits, but was it excellent biblical counseling? I think not. So, a question that um, I think um, I've wrestled with what would and, and I was guilty of this early on, uh, and I'll explain that in just a moment. But what would motivate a biblical counselor to dispense the word? Here are four suggestions. First, I think we all tend to teach the way we have been taught. In fact, Christ said that at one point in his ministry. Christ said, everyone after he's been fully taught will be like his teacher. That's why we all need to be careful about who our teachers are. Because we are influenced by them. And I grew up in a church, and uh, my pastor was a Moody Bible Institute graduate, and he taught the Bible. But the way our typical Sunday message was, the pastor would say, okay, today we're going to talk about uh, <clears throat> about hope in the Bible. So open your Bible to such, such passage. And he'd talk about that verse a little bit. And he said, now, that same word shows up over here. Go over here to this place. And he'd talk about that a little bit. And he said, this shows up also Look, in this Old Testament illustration, go over there. And basically the message, you know, is 30, 35, 40 minutes or so. We're just kind of what I call chasing through the Bible, looking at the word hope or anger. And then he said, well, come back tonight and we're going to talk about uh, anger tonight or something or whatever it is, you know. And basically it was a word study, but where you're kind of what I call chasing through the Bible, looking at various words and things. Well, when I first had opportunities to give devotions at youth group or later to speak at the church or at camp one time, I mean, guess what I did? I taught the Bible the way I'd been taught, all right? And a lot of us do that. I mean, it's, we teach the way we've seen it being modeled. In fact, if you'll think about it, some of you probably come from churches where that's what's happening even now. I mean, it is biblical preaching, but... It's kind of dispensing it. And then I think another reason people like us would dispense the Bible is thinking that if one verse is good, four verses are four times better. You know, it's just like, I'm going to prove the point. Or point C, I think sometimes there's this is the view that more verses are more convincing, more powerful. And I'm going to argue one verse is powerful enough. I mean, you can use other verses at times to suggest things. And I think another one that is a little harder to maybe admit in some cases is, I think sometimes there's an attempt to dispense the Bible to impress the counselees that we really know the Bible. And I would say uh, that is a particular temptation when you find yourself as a layman counseling somebody that's been in your church longer than you have or who's in a position of leadership and you're a little bit intimidated, or you're counseling another pastor who's got more degrees than you have, and you want to show them, I know the Bible as well as you do. Uh, there's a temptation to do that. So let me go back. Uh, the lady that I showed you from another state, just for a name, I'm going to call her Lisa. That's not her name, but I'll call her that. And uh, 
So after we went through the report that I just showed you from her and we talked about it, I said, okay, our next supervision call is going to be in a couple weeks. And I said, between now and then, I want to help you to grow. I'm ministering the Word, so I'm going to give you an assignment. And I said to her, in all your sessions between now and when I talk to you next, you can open your Bible to one passage of Scripture, to one page, and you've got to stay there the whole session. There's this long pause. And she says, really? I said, pick your page carefully. And she says, wow, okay. So I knew the next supervision call was going to be interesting. And when she called and we chit-chat a little bit, and I said, well, tell me, I'm interested to hear, just in general terms, how did it go with you turning to one page? And she says, that assignment scared me. And she said, I'll tell you, I have spent more time getting ready for counseling sessions than ever before because there are so many pages where my counselees need to hear what the Bible says. And that's true. I mean, the Bible's a big book. And one of the big challenges for us as counselors is deciding in this next session, which page am I going to turn to? That's the challenge. That's why good, wise, effective biblical counseling, excellent biblical counseling, starts with counselors preparing well. We're not just gunslingers going into the session ready to throw out a few verses, but we're strategists. We've thought carefully about all that I know about the Bible and all I know about this counselee. What is it that the Bible talks about that would be most helpful to them in this next session? And which page is that on? What her, her testimony was to me, she said, the first time I did that, she said, that was that first session, she said, that was so hard. I started so many times to quote a verse or refer to a verse or I started to pick up my Bible and I can't remember what you said, just one page, leave it there. And she said, the second session, it got a little bit easier. She said, in the third session, she says, really? She says, I think I began seeing what you were talking about and I began to settle down. And she said, I even think my counselee in the third session liked it better. And she says, I see the point. And I think you will too. All right, so that's dispensing the word. I'm speaking against that. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to seek to minister the word. Now, what does it mean to minister the word? Well, to minister the word involves selecting a key verse or passage, then careful exposition, confirming the counselee's understanding, improving his understanding, applying the biblical truth to the counselee's circumstances, including the passage in homework, and reviewing it in multiple future sessions. Now, there it is in paragraph form. Let me take you through it in a step-by-step with a little bit of commentary. So, if you're going to minister the Word, that starts with selecting a key appropriate passage. And so let's say that you're dealing with a a, a woman who's struggling with anxiety. You're going to say to her, okay, grab your Bible, please. Let's turn to to Matthew chapter 6. Let's begin our reading in verse 25. And uh, you may say to her, um, uh, you read the first four verses and I'll read the next four. But you read, you know, Matthew 6, 25 through the end of the, the chapter. And then you say now, okay, after we've read it, then let me explain this to you. 
This is part of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first major sermon that Jesus Christ preached. This is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. This is major teaching. And in this teaching passage, he talks about the tendency we all have toward anxiety, and he talks about comparing it to the grass, to the birds, to physical needs, and so forth. And you unpack the passage, and you say to her, see, look at this verse. See what he says? Do not be anxious. Underline that in your Bible. Drop down. See the next verse, three or four verses down. Do not be anxious. Underline that in your Bible. Drop down. Underline it there. You see it? And so you unpack it. And I'd say if you're talking about that particular paragraph of Scripture, I would say probably you would take, you know, seven minutes to do it. Yeah, something like that. Not, it's not the rest of the session, but, you know, five, seven, eight, you know, maybe ten, nine minutes or so. I'd lean towards seven or eight. And then when you're done, this is important, you ask, have I been clear? You don't ask, does this make sense to you? Because that kind of communicates, are you bright enough to understand what I just said? What you ask is, have I been clear? Almost always they will say yes. Then you say, okay, great. Now, would let's reread the passage, and then I want you to explain it back to me. In, in good, excellent biblical counseling, Bible study is collaborative. It's not just you expounding on all that you know about the Bible. It's collaborative. You explain it. Have I been clear? Yes. Okay, good. Let's read it one more time. Now you explain it back to me. And after you do that, then typically you need to polish up their explanation because it'll be deficient or weak in some part. And it's what I call you polish it up a little bit. You know, they may be in the ballpark, but you strengthen a little bit, polish it up a little bit. And then you're going to say to them, now, let's think about this passage. And let's think about how this might relate to your fear of driving over bridges over a body of water. And you're so excited, you want to go see your your daughter having her first baby, but you know between here and there, there's lots of bridges. And you're just tore up about it. That's why you come to see me. So let's think about this. Let's say that you got the call that she's going into labor on Wednesday, and the tendency of your heart is to begin thinking fearful thoughts about that trip. But then you pull out your Bible and you read this. On Wednesday at 2 o'clock, how should this passage be influencing your thinking as a Christian? And what you're beginning to do is you're beginning to push the understanding and begin applying the scriptures to her life. You begin applying the truth of the passage to her life, their circumstances. You ask, how should this affect your thinking? How should it hack your behavior when blank, whatever the counseling situation is? And as you do this, I would exhort you to be specific and to also consider the value of role play with some counselees. But the point is, you're beginning to push the understanding of the Scripture and push its application to life. Then you spend the the rest of the session or the bulk of it doing that. Then you assign the passage for meditation or memorization in the homework or the change and growth plan. And then point H, you ask the counselee to log when or he, she thought and acted in a specific situation 
out of growing love for Christ and obedience to the Scripture. You don't ask her to log failures. You ask her to log obedience to the Scripture. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, then point I, in future sessions... You keep pushing the understanding of the scripture and its application to the counselee's life, and you regularly demonstrate the relevance of the teaching and the homework to the counselee's presentation problem. In other words, you keep coming back to it. And if you're dealing with a lady struggling with fear and anxiety, <clears throat> then that passage is a key one. I mean, it's probably going to be showing up in the change of growth plan at least asking her to review it, maybe memorize uh, some key parts of it, uh, even maybe up close to the time that you graduate. There's so much in that to, to strengthen it. So that's ministering the Word. Do you see the difference? Rather than just quoting verses and throwing them out there, we're unpacking it, we're getting them to interact with it, our Bibles are open, one of the things that I suggest is that you demand that all your counselees bring a paper Bible to the counseling session. And uh, I do that I, with, even with the people I supervise. I don't want them looking at an electronic device. I want them to learn how to get around in the Bible. And one of the ways that you can find out kind of where a person is spiritually, uh, I failed to mention this in our earlier session on evangelism, but is when you ask a counselee, would you, well, would you turn to First John? And they have to look at the index to find out where it is. That tells you something. All right? Well, I want my counselees to know how to get around in the Bible. So I have them bring a paper Bible, and then you assign them to read, to underline, so forth. So you begin applying the truth of the passage to the counselee's circumstance. Be specific. Consider the value of role play. And then in future sessions, keeps pushing the understanding of the Scripture and its application to the counselee's life. Now, <clears throat> that's what it means to minister the Word. You see the difference in strategy. All right, number three in our outline, we're talking about ministering the Word. God's Word should impact our thinking, our motives, and behavior. Focus on change in each of those three areas. The Scripture should impact our thinking, our motives, and our behavior. Now, <clears throat> we're talking about how to, minister, how to use the Bible in counseling. We're assuming you're going to use it. The question is, how are you going to use it? So let me, let me try to bolster the stance that I'm taking by showing you some scriptures that I think encourage a minister the word uh, strategy. And uh, the first one is Jeremiah 3, verse 15. And um, this is in the context of uh, God calling the nation of Israel to repentance. And one of the rewards for repenting will be shepherds who will feed you both knowledge and understanding. Here's the verse. Uh, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. The context is a call to repentance. And a reward for repenting will be shepherds um, who feed both knowledge and understanding. Now, notice this in your notes. Knowledge and understanding are two different things. Look at point D. You can have knowledge without understanding, but you cannot have understanding without knowledge. So in my experience, I've counseled a number of 
Christians who've been in Bible-believing churches for a long time, and they've heard about put off, put on. They don't have the foggiest idea what that means to them on Tuesday at 2 o'clock. They have some knowledge, but they don't understand. They don't understand the implications. They don't understand the so what. So you can have knowledge without understanding, but you cannot have understanding without knowledge. So I think ministering the word leads to understanding, but then as you push the application to life, it leads to knowledge, but then as you push the application to life, you're pushing understanding. Here's another one. Um, Colossians 1, 9, and 10. Paul writes, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Isn't this interesting? Paul prays for spiritual knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. It seems that he views them as separate matters, but related. These three are manifested, the passage shows us, in personal godliness and fruitfulness. Verse 10 is our goal for all of our counselees. Verse 10 says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what we want for all of our counselees. But notice point C in your notes. Note the progression from knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to personal godliness and fruitfulness to more godly knowledge. You know, it's like as we grow... We bear more fruit, but as we grow, we learn more and are able to bear more fruit. You see? So, uh, minister the Word. Now, let me talk with you uh, a bit about ministering the Word properly. And I have three thoughts I'd like you to consider. I would encourage you to interpret the Scriptures accurately in their historical, grammatical context. And this is what is called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science or the, the study of biblical interpretation. And the Bible needs to be interpreted in its historical, grammatical context. In other words, historical, you need to think about, okay, to whom was this written? What were their circumstances? their historical situation, then grammar, the way the Bible is put together, the way it's worded, but then the context, you know, the bigger picture and so forth. I would, just as a a key rule, I would encourage you to be alert to the intended audience. When this passage of Scripture was written, who were the first readers? Who was it given to first? Pay particular attention to that. In my experience, the most frequently mishandled scriptures that I encounter in supervision are Jeremiah 29, 11, Matthew 7, 24 to 27, and 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 13. So let me just uh, refer, refresh you on these. Here's what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. 
For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. I've listened to people who have gone through the kind of training you've gone through, who have done the thousand pages recruiting ACBC requires, passed the ACBC counseling and theology exam. I've heard them on recordings use that passage of Scripture to say to a non-believer that God has a plan and a future for you. And I've heard counselors also use that, of course, with Christians. What I have never heard anybody do is quote the verse right ahead of it. Let me read that one for you. Here's Jeremiah 29.10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for, for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. That scripture was given to the nation Israel after 70 years of punishment for their disobedience. And God had promised them before they were taken into captivity, I'm going to discipline you if you don't repent. But after I discipline you, I'll bring you back. And God is just announcing, I'm going to keep my promise. That was a promise to the nation of Israel at the end of the Babylonian captivity. It is not a promise to you or me or any of our counselees. To take that verse and to try to use it to give a counselee hope, I think is to wrench it out of its historical grammatical context and to misuse it. Uh, <clears throat> the other one that uh, I've mentioned in the notes that I hear misuse is Matthew 7, 24 to 27. And this is at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. You're familiar with the passage where Christ says, everyone who hears these words of mine and obeys them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, the wind, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine but does not obey them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell, and great was its fall. And I've listened to multiple counselors say to people, you need to make it a point to, to solve your problem. You've got to start building your life on Jesus the rock and not on the sand of man's philosophies and man's ways of teaching and so forth. Well... Another passage of scripture talks about Jesus being the rock. That one doesn't. That's not what Jesus said. Everyone who hears my words and obeys it is like a man who built his house on the rock. The issue is not about Jesus and the rock. It's not about man's philosophies. The issue is the difference between hearing the word of God and obeying versus hearing the word of God and not obeying. It's the issue between being wise or being foolish. And to make it say anything else than that is taking it out of its historical grammatical context and making it say something that it doesn't say. So use it the way it was intended. It's a powerful passage. In fact, it's one of the passages that I ask people that I supervise to memorize. Because I find in counseling, in many counseling, this is what it boils down to. Are you going to hear the Bible and obey it and be wise going forward? 
Are you going to hear like you have been for years and not obey and continue being a fool? I mean, that's where it is for all of us, isn't it? Are we going to hear and obey or are we going to just hear and not obey? The other passage that I hear misused most frequently is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation taking you, but what is as common to man? But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. I've heard that passage read or quoted and said to non-believers, God will never give you more than you can handle. I don't think that's true with non-believers. I think God gives non-believers more than they can handle to, to humble them. To bring them to the end of themselves. That was written to Christians. It's written to the Corinthians. And the Corinthian church had a, had a you know, peck of trouble, difficulties, but they were Christians. And the promise for us as Christians is God will never allow us to face temptation that though we want to do what's right, we just can't help but sin. That'll never happen for us. That's a word of hope for us as Christians, not for non-believers. So to use it, to try to give hope to non-believers is, again, to wrench it out of its historical grammatical context and to misuse it. So my exhortation to you is seek to minister the word of God properly. Be alert to the intended audience and pay attention to this historical grammatical context. So let me just give you some application strategies as we head toward the finish line here. Number one, I would encourage you to minimize the running commentary during sessions. This is usually just dispensing the word. Um, I see both male and female counselors doing this. I see it more often with females. And I think one of the reasons sometimes I think the females know the Bible better than some of the males but I think you ladies, I think, I'm painting in broad brush strokes now, you ladies tend to be more vocal than we men are. You're just more um, gifted that way. I mean, a lot of husbands have found out. Uh, having, a, having a debate with my wife's like going to a gunfight with a pocket knife. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And what happens with a lot of these is, as I listen, the ladies, they're just making comments. It's what I call the running commentary. The count, session one, they're gathering information. Counselee will say something, and the woman will quote a verse and comment just on it, you know, a few seconds, and then they go on to something else, and it's just like we're just throwing out verses there, you know. And it's the running commentary. Um, that leads me to number two suggestion. Consider the value of hard turns during counseling. When you, gather, when you are gathering data, stay focused on gathering data. When you are teaching, resist the temptation to do anything but minister the word. Complete the task at hand and then make a hard turn to the next activity. So what I find myself saying to some of the people that I'm supervising, is I talk about the value of hard turns, and I say, you need to quit the running commentary. Just because they say something, you don't have to respond. I mean, you can grunt or nod and say, ooh, okay, keep going. But you don't have to add a religious comment, you know. You don't have to throw a verse out or something. 
So especially during data gathering, um, I think that when you're gathering data, just stay focused on that. Keep focusing, ask, asking questions, getting your information. Then after you have done that, then you can move away from it. Let, let me illustrate it this way. If you're to watch me in a session uh, now, when people come in, they sit down at the beginning. I'm chit-chatting with them. I'm sitting back. I'm relaxed and so forth. But um, after, you know, three or four minutes or so, I say, well, I explain Proverbs 18, 13, that I need to ask questions. And then I'll say something about I need to, I know I need God's help, so let me pray. And then when I pray, I usually scoot up to the desk. I pick up my pen, and my demeanor changes. And right then, I've moved from the friendly, relaxed counselor, leaning back in his chair. Now I'm the detective. And I'm leaning forward. I'm asking questions. Drawing them out, asking questions, regardless of going around the circle of life with those. But after 45, 50 minutes or so, I'm probably going to lay my pen down and say, well, I'm sure glad you've come in. And um, you're facing some hard days. And then you watch. My demeanor will change. I say, I think the Bible's got answers. Let me show you. And I pick up, and now I'm the pastor. I'm the biblical counselor ministering the Word of God. And I'm ministering. I'm not gathering data. I'm not assigning homework. I'm not scheduling the next session. I'm ministering the Word of God. And after, you know, several minutes, whatever it is, let's just say it's 15 minutes, I say, uh, that's why I think I can help you. I hope you'll come back. Any questions on that? And we've interacted a little bit. Then I say, okay, now let me line out some things for you to help you get, get us started toward long-term solutions. And I'm slide my change the growth plan over, and I'm finishing it. And now I'm the biblical counselor giving homework. And then I'm explaining it. I'm not gathering data. I'm not teaching. I'm giving the homework. Hard turns. And what I observe many counselors tending to do is just blend all of that. I mean, I've listened to counselors giving homework, stop and go back and start gathering data about something they forgot to ask about. And I think it communicates to the counselee that you're not organized or that you're not competent. Uh, many people come to counseling when they're, they're just overwhelmed. Like in many ways we could say they're just overwhelmed. They're just in a fog. They don't know what to do. And one of the ways we can be a blessing to many people is we can be clear and organized and systematic because it communicates we got our act together a bit, and it helps us cut through the fog. And that's how we build involvement and give hope. That's two of the key elements of the counseling process. So minimize the running commentary. Consider the value of hard turns. And then here's a third suggestion. Seek continuity between what has been taught and discussed in the session and what is assigned in homework. Continuity contributes to both knowledge and understanding. I encourage you to underline that statement. Continuity contributes to both knowledge and understanding. So what I'm suggesting is that after one of your counseling sessions where you give the counselee a change in growth plan and they're walking to their car, if another experienced counselor stopped them before they got in the car and said, hey, can I... Can I see the change of growth plan that your counselor gave you? An experienced counselor should be able to look at that change in growth plan and have some idea what happened in the counseling session, working backwards. 
because the change in growth plan should reflect and should build on what we talked about in the session, you see? And then, number four, I would encourage you going forward to limit your teaching to one key passage. Start to become comfortable doing that. And then I'd also encourage you to periodically record a counseling session and then listen to it with a critical ear. And I would encourage you to note the time stamp for various segments. In other words, notice... How much time did I spend on chit-chat? How much time did I spend on that together? How much time did I spend ministering the Word? How, much, how long did it take me to give them the change in growth plan? And particularly for those of you who have difficulty keeping your counseling sessions to about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, that will be very helpful to you. Okay, questions or comments or 